we're going to continue talking about what it means to be church. And by church, I want you to think not building, I want you to think people. People is what makes a church. And what kind of church are we? What kind of people are we? What kind of people do we want people to think we are? What kind of people do we think we are? All these are wonderful questions. And I've been really encouraged this week. A couple of people come up to me and said um, how encouraged they were by our church or by our people. And um, that's really encouraging to hear that, uh, that people are getting something of what we are putting together. And it's not just us from the front. It's every one of us. Uh, making church or making it what it is. Um, so the question I've been asking myself is, what do people think about the church in general? And following that, what do people think about Lighthouse as a community of um, people? And what would we like people to think about us? What kind of message are we getting across? Are we being effective in getting that message across? Now, if you want people to join your group, it's important what they think about you. You know, we have to get the right message across. In an ideal world, what would they think about church? And I say there's a way to be church, and it's not building, but it's people, a people of God. Right from the beginning, the early church, they were defined as these people of the way or people of the new humanity or people of recreated, people that were like Christ or they were following Christ. And we know Christ is the image of God and we are being conformed and transformed into that image of Christ. And it's not that we're just um, people who've been rescued out of a dark world and eventually one day when we get to heaven, everything will be sorted out and we're looking for that opportunity to get out of here and into a better, better world that awaits those who believe. I think there's more to it than that. Yes, we've been rescued from dark forces by the work of the cross, but yes, this is in order for us to be genuinely human or the new humanity. So we are right now people of the light in a dark world, bringing heaven to earth as a foretaste of what creation was supposed to be or is supposed to be like. And in the new creation, when the heaven and earth are joined together and everything is recreated, we are that foretaste of what is to come, where heaven and earth will be joined together. Paul speaks about this. He says, The cross has dealt with the forces of darkness in order to bring heaven to earth, where people of God are like those seated already in heavenly places, even though you're now on earth. Does that make sense? Um, We are already a chosen people. We are already a new creation in Christ, a chosen people of God, a holy priesthood, an unusual people. And I want to talk this morning about unity, and I want to talk about what it means to be one. And it doesn't mean that we all agree on everything. Thank God for that. Because if we had to sort out all the differences that we had, you know, and that's all we would do. It's just always working on things that divide us rather than looking at bringing us together as one. And I'm looking at the early church and what attracted people to be followers of Christ was the fact that that 
they were genuinely concerned and looking out for each other. You know, in the early church, it wasn't the excellent preaching. It wasn't the wonderful band. It wasn't the awesome coffee they had before service. You know, it wasn't those things that attracted people to be followers of Christ. So what was it? It was that these were ordinary people who acted out Christ-likeness in a way that showed what they believed had really changed and altered their lives. So they were genuinely looking out for others, caring for the sick, for the poor, for all the things that Jesus taught us to be. And that's what Jesus did when he came to act out what the kingdom meant and for us to take that kingdom into this world. And he dealt with the forces of darkness on the cross. And Paul attributed his work on the cross to defeating the powers of hell so that Christians and Christ-like Christ followers, Christ-like Christ followers, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Um, can be genuinely human, recreated in the image of God. You know, we were created in the image of God. Christ was involved in that creation. He created them to look like him, male and female. He created them. And Jesus was involved then, and also Jesus was involved in recreating that we could be this new creation, that we could be people who are changed and transformed. And changed and transformed in the way, especially how we treat others, about those, uh, those who are different from us, speaks volumes of who we are as people of God. That we don't just exist to help and support those who we like, we actually look to help and support those who we maybe don't get on so well, that are different, uh, different to us. And I've been thinking about this and what it means to be church, what does Lighthouse represent? And this sentence that I've come to think about is that, you know, we're not defining ourselves as Pentecostal, evangelical, liberal, conservative, Baptist, Anglican. We're people who have identified them ourselves as people who are an expression of Christianity in our culture today, or an expression of Christ-likeness. And that's a good question to ask us. What does it mean to be a Christ-like, Christ-follower in our culture today? How do we need to adapt to change, not our message, but our method, in order to be relevant and to reach people today? What are the needs that we have identified that people need, that people are crying out for? And what can we do about it in our community? Now, people say, well, are you this, are you that? And, you know, those labels can be helpful, but not when they divide us. You say, oh, well, you're one of those uh, reformists, or you're one of those non-conformists, or you're just a conformist, or you're a reformation, you know, ref reformer, and you're this and you're that. But a way to express who we are is in our identity in Christ. And whilst we have made Whilst we may have different opinions about different things, we can open a dialogue and be mature enough to drop our labels and begin to embrace people. The title of my message is Unity of Faith, and my key scripture is Colossians 3, and I'm going to read that to you now. God has chosen you. I could preach just on that for a good hour, 
and we're fine for time, so I'll see what I can do. He has made you his holy people, and he loves you. So you should always clothe yourself with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord has forgiven you. Even more than all of this, clothe yourself in love, for it's love that holds you together in perfect unity. Let the peace that Christ gives you control your thinking because you're called together in one body to have peace. Always be thankful. Let the teachings of Christ live in you richly. Use wisdom to teach and instruct each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Everything you do, everything you say should be done to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. In all you do, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So my first point this morning is what are we going to wear? Can we clothe ourselves with kindness? You know, knowing what to wear can be a tricky thing for some people. It can take a long time to decide what clothes to wear. And whilst that's important what you wear, because, you know, if you don't wear enough or you wear too much, you know, you need to dress appropriately for the situation that you're in, you know, the the climate and everything like that. And also there is this fear that people will judge me for what I'm wearing. And, uh, you know, we live in that kind of world that if someone dresses in a certain way, you make certain assumptions about that person. It's just the world we live in. But how about clothing yourself with kindness? When you think about the morning, what you're going to wear, you say, this morning, I'm going to clothe myself with kindness. What does that mean? If someone's going to tread on my toes, I'm going to show them kindness. Someone's going to cut me up in traffic, I'm going to show them some kindness. Someone takes that last seat on the bus or on the train, I'm going to maybe offer my seat in kindness. But maybe we worry too much. And Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to wear. But allow your heavenly Father to clothe you. And whatever we decide to do, let's decide to do it with kindness. You know, when we speak the truth, and we should speak the truth, we should speak the truth in love. Jesus said that, didn't he? Speak the truth in love. Think about it. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? You know, I think there's a higher law that says we ought to keep the peace. We ought to keep the unity. And if we insist on our own rights or we insist on being right, I think love is a higher law than that. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and ultimately clothe yourself with love. And it's that revelation that I am loved that helps me to know that I can forgive and to love others. That revelation of unity. You know, I'm studying a bit of church history, and it's interesting, there hasn't been a time in church history when there hasn't been some kind of controversy, some kind of issues that would always try and and divide people. Do you know, during the time of the Reformation, there's something called the 30-year war. This is where people would literally take people that are different to them and take up arms because they had a different understanding of of theological doctrine than someone else. I think this is unbelievable. How can you read your scripture and read how to be clothed in kindness and bring unity and let's come together on agreement and then let's go to war with someone else because they have a different opinion to us. 
You know, during the Reformation, um, you've got people like Luther, and he did some amazing work and translated the Bible in the everyday language. And you've also got the revolutionary Gutenberg Press, which was able to print all these Bibles and get this literature out into the everyday language. So there's some remarkable things going on. But there's also um, these sharp divides And some of the issues that divided them, and I'm reading church history, I'm thinking, we haven't resolved these issues today. And this is, uh, what, four or five hundred years ago. And we're still talking about whether people should be baptized or should be christened. And we're still talking about the Eucharist and the communion and breaking of bread together and how it should be done. It should be done by a priest and all this kind of stuff. We're still kind of debating those things today. And if we look for it, there's always reasons that we can separate. But actually, there is so much more that joins our hearts together. But those things don't often make the news or make the headlines. People want to look for something that's going to antagonize someone else. And during this uh, time of Reformation, it was after the Reformation, sorry, Elizabeth I really tried to bring unity to the Church of England. She put together the Book of Common Prayer and she insisted that everyone does it to bring them together. And the Pope was saying, no, come on, you, can't, you must go against the throne of, of England. You must go against the monarchy. And the Church of England was, was formed and shaped by political power. But the Enlightenment would also was happening and the Enlightenment wanted to separate church and state and saying our position of faith has no place in politics. And this is all two sticky issues that you never want to talk about. You know, I know families that will have right go at each other if you bring up politics, especially if you bring up Brexit. It just separates the whole family. And I'm like, guys, your family, let's come together in some kind of agreement and let's look for something. So your religion doesn't want to shape your politics and your politics doesn't want to shape your religion. And this is the, the Anabaptists who believed in rebaptizing. They would not have anything to do with politics. And I can understand that. And as, as a church and as a pastor, I, I avoid party politics, right? I do, I do my best to avoid them. Um, but we can't avoid politics themselves. You know, when you help somebody, when you love somebody, when you give someone uh, a helping hand, that is political. Loving people is political because we need it in a world where we have to engage small p politics. I'm not talking about Labour or Conservative and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'll let you make up your own minds about uh, those sorts of things. But there are things that we can and do agree on. And there is more that joins us together than there is that divides us. And I think sometimes we have to drop those labels and look for the common ground. Look for what joins us. There's still things that divide us today and it's more than just our style of worship. But we can't go back to an age when they were persecuting those who are different from them. We have to look forward and see how the coming together of people with different ideas can actually enhance and value each other and not be threatened by uh, each other. And when we mistreat people who are different from us, we lose what it means to be people of the kingdom of God. We lose what it means to be followers of Christ and to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. When Jesus was teaching this, loving your neighbor, 
One of the guys said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And the example he gives is of the Samaritan who helped and rescued the Jewish man on the road to Jericho. And the reason he gave that is because the Samaritans were so different to them that they would persecute them just because they're different. And Jesus was like saying, come on, your neighbor and the one who loves and the one whom you reach out and help is may be the one that is different from you. But I don't think we are actually so different. And we think about how polarized people can become and the dangers of becoming tribal. You know, I'm a lever, I'm a remainer, I'm a Catholic, I'm a protester, I'm a liberal, I'm a Catholic. But we're not so different. Even though we might find value in some of those labels, we might find that we are only divided on a very small number of issues. And I'm wondering, could there be forces at play that would want to keep us divided? And this is what the media does. The media picks up on the extremist views on the left, the extremist views on the right, because the middle ground, that doesn't make news. And it's only 5% there, 5% there, while 90% of the people in between will agree on 90% of the issues. And I believe there is more that unites us than there is divides us. And maybe there's issues that we need to compromise. And you say, Pastor, I hate that word compromise. You know, and it's almost like a dirty word, isn't it? It's as if compromise means I have to give up something. You know what compromise actually means? And we need to redeem that word. In Latin, it means to come together with a promise. Compliso, yeah? Come together with a promise. So a relationship ought to have an element of coming together with a promise, with an agreement of some common ground. And I think that describes church, doesn't it? Church is compromise. Oh, that doesn't sound right, does it? We need to redeem the word and then it will sound like it's okay. We need to come together with a promise. And that's what good relationships are based on, is coming together, agreeing on something that's important rather than looking for things that divide us. And Brexit is a great example because you're choosing yes or no, you're choosing in or out, you're choosing Trump or Hillary, you know, whatever the divisive thing is going on. And it straight away puts people in opposite camps. But in those opposite camps, you'll find that majority will come together and will agree on majority of things. And it's not right that we bury our head in the sand and say, you know what, let's just not talk about the B word because, you know, that will just upset people. But actually, let's talk about it. But let's look for common ground. Let's, look, let's pray for our politicians and our leaders that they can find a way through and come to an agreement because there's power in the agreement. Jesus knew this. He said, when two or three of you come in together and you agree, wow, amazing things can happen. But when we, there's forces at play that want to divide us, then we're never going to accomplish anything. I think that as a church, we want to be active, we want to be involved, we want to be able to sit down in a mature way and have a dialogue with someone that's different to us and not play party politics, not allow group identities to polarize us and create tribes and send us back thousands of years. Now we need to look for a way forward that we can unify and there's more that unites us than divides us. I want to show a little clip um, are we ready for the video?
I would describe my political views as the new right. I say that I'm left. Feminism today is man-hating. I would describe myself as a feminist, 100%. I don't believe that climate change exists. We're not taking enough action on climate change. I think it's about time these people got off the high horse and started looking for credible problems that actually exist. It's absolutely critical that trans people have their own voice. That's not right. You can't, you know, you're, you're a man, be a man, or you're a female, be a female. Women do need to remember that we need you to have our children. Could I be friends with someone that says a woman's place is in the home? Um. Right, OK, well, I'm an expert at flat packs. If you have any trouble, just watch me. So it looks like I've got your instructions here. I think so. Let me help you. Let's have just that bit there. Describe what it is like to be you in five adjectives. OK, frustrating. Dedicated. Opinionated. Lucky. Ambitious. Offensive. Solemn. I have ups and downs. Strong. I don't want to say attacked. Misunderstood. Name three things you and I have in common. We're both male, we're both confident, and we're both loudly spoken. We know each other better than people who've known each other for ten minutes should. You seem quite ambitious and positive, and you've got this really, um... Got a glow. Do you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Your aura's pretty cool. I'm sensing. Are you uh, for military or something? People have said that, but there is no, really? there is no history. So are you then? Ex. Ex-military? Um, yeah. If you're ex-military, I'm very proud of you already. Well, so. I grew up uh, in a bit of a rough state. I've experienced homelessness. I've known what it's like to have absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely most grateful just, just for life. We've only just met, but I think you're the sort of person that would listen to me and we'd have a discussion rather than argue. Yeah, you could hang out with, man. Let's go. My chance. Goodness sake. You're right, mate. Fitter than a look. Perfect. Oh, yeah. There you go. So basically, I think we just bought a bar. Yeah. OK. <laughs> Each take a bottle and place it on its corresponding markings on the bar. Attention, please now stand to watch a short film. Feminism today is definitely an excuse for misandry, man-hating. If somebody said to me that climate change is destroying the world, then I'd say that is total piffle. So transgender, it is very odd. We're not set up to understand or see things like that. I am a daughter. A wife. I am transgender. I feel like the battle for feminism definitely isn't done. The fight is never going to be over, if I'm honest with you. You now have a choice. You may go, or you can stay and discuss your differences over a beer. I'm only joking. <laughs> you happy for a second, then? Well, I'm having a drink. I'm having a drink. Yeah. I want to discuss. Beer. Yeah, beer and discuss. Cheers. At the end of the day, mate, I've reaching out to people, with you. Yeah. And, you know, even if you wanted to convince people about your point, the productive thing to do would be to sit it's down engaged. and have a beer. It's engage. 
I've been brought up in a way where everything's black and white. But life isn't black and white. Yeah, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I'll give you my mobile number, you give me yours. Uh -huh. And we'll keep in touch. I'd have to tell my girlfriend that I'll be texting another girl. <laughs> she might get a bit upset with that, but I'll have to get round that. I'll have to tell my girl that she'll have to lump it. There was a survey done in America on hidden tribes and it came to interesting conclusions. It says, whilst the media would like to say that people are polar opposites, there is a frustrated majority who want dialogue and compromise. If we can better comprehend what lies beyond, behind our differences, we may prevent this polarization from spiraling out of control. In their survey, two-thirds of Americans who don't belong to the extreme constitute an exhausted majority. Their members share a sense of fatigue with our polarized national conversation, a willingness to be flexible in their political viewpoints, but a lack of voice in the national conversation. When all is said and done, you know, we make every effort to keep the peace. Above all, we are called to unity and the bond of peace. Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples and they were saying, hey, Jesus, there's these guys out there, they're doing what we're trying to do, but they're not part of our gang. And Jesus was like, yes, if they're not against us, they're likely, they're, they're likely that they are for us. And the idea of unity and maturity seems to go together. Maybe in our youthful zeal we have a point to prove, a point to de defend. But maybe in our maturity and as we grow in Christ, we become more aware of the need for peace. Paul said to the Philippines, he says, listen, follow the truth that you have. And if there are things you don't agree with, if there's things that you're struggling with, ask God and God will reveal it to you. Can we assume that what we don't know is more valuable than what we do know? Can we assume the person we're talking to, even though we don't agree with them, knows something that we don't? And we can learn something from them. And being that one within one another, being one with one another, takes humility. Can we admit that we might be wrong? Can we learn something from someone we disagree with? Ephesians 4 says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, and you're called to one hope and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over you all, through you all, and he is in you all. But each one of us has a grace that's been given to us as Christ appointed it. My final question, is perfect unity possible? Yes, but it's not that we all agree on everything. Romans 12 says we need the body. You need people that are different, that have different skills, different mindsets to come together for the body to function as one. And maybe it's not equality. You know, it's not that we're all hands or that we're all feet. It's not every part of the body is equal, but maybe it's um, mutualism that we need, not equality. Maybe we can celebrate our differences and that's where we can find our strength. The reality is that we're all flawed human beings. 
But imagine what we can do together when we come to agreement. And it's love that brings that path of unity. And it's okay to compromise, to come together with a promise and to keep the peace. Are there aspects of our unity of our faith that cannot function without agreement? Yes. We need to agree on the essentials. You know, Paul had so many problems in the early church that he was trying to address. You know, he would talk about there were some that would eat meat offered to idols, and that was the worst thing you could do possibly. Um, And there was others that would celebrate certain feasts, and if you celebrated a new moon festival, that means you were pagan and you were part of that group. You know, Paul had all these things to deal with. And Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uncircumcised, can they have a part in the Christian faith? You know, he had to deal with all these different things and he brought them together under the unity of knowing Christ, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ rose again, and that Christ brought peace between us heaven and earth, that he defeated the powers of darkness, that he made it possible for us to be the new humanity, the new creation, someone who is different, someone who reacts to others different. The goal of this command, he told Timothy, comes from a pure heart and it's love. It's a good conscience and sincere faith. I pass this on to you which I have received and this is the most important thing, 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins, as the scripture says. He was buried and was raised on the third day. You know, there's things that we have to come together on a promise, on agreement with. And that is Christ. That is Christ and his love for us. I am closing. Look at that, on time as well. Let's just close with a prayer. The things that bring us together is the fact that we can have the love of Christ flowing through us. Knowing that we are his chosen people. Know that he has made us his holy people. Knowing that he loves us. Knowing that we can clothe ourselves with kindness and mercy, patience, forgiveness. If there's something that is separating in you, dividing you, Can you forgive them, yet disagree with them? Is that even possible? Can you love someone to the point where you say, listen, we're going to disagree, but you belong to Christ, I belong to Christ, and we're going to come together in unity, and we're going to see what God can do through our united people. Let's just stand, shall we? We're going to sing our 